We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Sean Azaro, and you are listening to Reaching for Real Life. Hi, hey, welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, Baron Wiley here. May I, Pastor Sean? Uh, fine, fine. This is a, fine. a nice surprise here. This is the. Uh... Oh, it's a card. Uh, Baron's it's a got sl- a birthday coming up and just a lot of love. and. It's a sweater. <laughs> I thought it was a necktie. I thought it was supposed to be a, a two-wide two necktie. That was uh, Three Amigos there when they got El Guapo. A sweater, El Guapo, a sweater, yes. Thank you very much, Pat. Thank you for remembering. Oh, hey, we, we love you, man. Appreciate what you do. You do so much for this ministry, the radio program, the podcast. If you enjoy this, you enjoy the radio program, you enjoy the podcast. You know, Baron is the guy who does all of the mechanical, putting all this together. He's not just a brilliant co-host. He is an awesome guy. We move on, Pastor Sean. Oh, look who's a little do, self-conscious now. Oh, yeah, uh, hey, Pastor Sean, a very special show today, sir. Mm, I, I love the conversation. Our guest is Casey Leander. Uh, he's a Breakpoint contributor at the Colson Center mm-hmm. for Christian Worldview. That's kind of his main thing that he does. Uh, he holds a BA in history and PPE, politics, philosophy, and economics from Taylor University. Wow. Uh, I had a number of friends from Taylor University, but this is what's interesting: a certificate in theology or theological studies from Oxford University. And he actually worked with them, and they have an apologetics arm, an apologetics ministry. He worked with that. And he's just a very bright guy, has spent significant time dealing with apologetics, culture, worldview, and uh, had a great conversation with him, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you. You may not know this, too. He's also a Sam's Club member, which is pretty, pretty big. It's a big deal there. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. How do you know it's not Costco? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Let's do it. It's a great conversation. Yeah, really good conversation. This is Casey Leander of Breakpoint. Well, so I am here with Casey Leander. Casey, thank you so much for being with us. Pastor Sean, it's a delight and a privilege. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, we are excited about this. Now, as I looked into you, okay, we're going to talk about an article you wrote in a little bit, so we'll get to that. But I just found out, you know, your background, you've got a whole lot of background in apologetics. In fact, you uh, studied apologetics, you were at a institute centered out of Oxford that dealt with apologetics. How did you, that become a passion of yours? You were, at, you were a Taylor guy, right? Didn't you go to Taylor? Is that Fort Wayne? I graduated or? from Taylor University in 2016. So Is that, the, is that uh, Fort Wayne or Upland? In, wasn't there a campus in Upland? It's, it's Upland, Indiana. Yeah, nice mm-hmm. memory. Yeah, it's about an hour south of Fort Wayne, close to absolutely nothing. Yeah, so yeah, no. The nearest <laughs> anything was a Walmart, 30 minutes away. And uh, <laughs> we would sit in the local gas station. So Upland has like you know, maybe 2000 people, but it's got three gas stations. Mm. So we would go to one of those and do gas station philosophy, uh, which is a ton of fun. You have all the snacks you could ever want right there for a long stakeout. (laughs) I have a number of friends who went to Taylor, new folks. I uh, used to go up to Fort Wayne and do some ministry stuff pretty regularly. So I was very familiar with it. How did you get 
interested in apologetics? Where did that become a passion of yours? I think my, so my dad is with Focus on the Family, Marriage and Parenting mm-hmm. Ministry based out of Colorado Springs. And to be honest, he was the, uh, he was the first person who really got me into it. You know, he sat me down at a ripe age of 14 <laughs> and honestly said, you know, my eyes were huge as he said this, but he said, Casey, uh, you know, your mom and I love Jesus and um, we're always going to love Jesus. And we, and our cards are on the table. We want you to love Jesus as well. Right. But if you were thinking about loving and following Jesus, just because we love Jesus, he said, don't even think about it. Mm. I want you to press into the truth of the gospel for yourself. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, you need to ask your hard questions. And so he slid uh, Frank Turk and Norm Geisler's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, yep. across the table to me. And man, I devoured that book. Mm. And, you know, as I read that, I found myself laying awake in bed just going, oh man, it's actually real. Yeah. You know, it's not not just Sunday school. This, this is real in real life. I credit oftentimes after that, a good friend of mine in high school named Dan, wicked smart guy, uh, stone cold atheist. And he would just push my logic. He would just Mm. attack in the most friendly way possible. So we'd just get fast food and sit at our local community college where we were taking classes and just haggle about religion. So those two things, Sean really got me going. Um, and God has really grown that passion since then through some unique opportunities. But I, I would say that was, those were the seedbed what topics of do you passion for apologetics? What topics do you find yourself really being drawn to when you think about it? Because there's apologetics is this big, broad area. But you know, one of the things we focus on here on the Reaching for Real Life podcast is we try to look at what's going on in the world, current events and things through a biblical lens. So what are the things yeah. that you found yourself talking about frequently recently? You know, right now I think doubt and deconstruction is a really important one to tackle. Right. Because as a tutor of mine at Oxford said we're all under the influence of books we've never read. Mm. And especially for young people, and I work a lot with college-age students and high schoolers, they're under the influence of books they've never read. We are awash in postmodern philosophy. Right. Uh, and that has strengths and weaknesses. I think it it's no more antithetical to a biblical worldview per se than, you know, modern straight up modernism, but it comes with sort of this air of absolute skill skepticism. So today's young people, I I find this isn't even a question they know they have, but they're intuitively skeptical about everything. And so one of my favorite things to do is just to get them to doubt their doubts for Mm. a second, right? Because you can't doubt everything, but you know, in all fairness, the world that they're born into today, can you trust the news? No. Can you trust anything on the internet? Absolutely not. Can you know what your friends really think about you behind your back and Mm. not what they're posting on Snapchat or whatever? It's harder and harder. So they have this inborn sort of epistemic skepticism that I like to explore and just say, you know, what can we know for sure about anything, right? right? And that leads to topics of conversation about God that I just think are amazing. Yeah. So when you're dealing with someone who maybe fancies themselves to be deconstructing, right? Right. Because that's kind of a thing people do. It's okay. It's it's really like, well, I don't want to go to church. So this is what I do. I deconstruct. Um, sure. Yeah. So when you're dealing with someone in that place, where do you begin? Where do you begin by, by what anchors do you try to establish for them? I think one question Christians can gently and humbly ask people who are, who are going through it, who are experiencing doubt is uh, how do you know that you can't know what you think you can't know? So (laughs) epistemic skepticism has a way of making you pretty certain that you can't know anything Mm. about God 
the God of the Bible. But even that assumption, right, is based on uh, some sort of innate truth. It's, it's really an assumption that you have to right. start with. I don't think we can know much about anything. Well, the first question I like to gently, you know, move towards is how do you know that? It might be that we can be certain about some things and we might be in doubt about other things. You know, God is huge. He's mysterious. He, he says, my ways are not your ways. And so there will be mysteries about God as we approach him. But I often find that today's young people think they can, they have to doubt a lot more than is actually, actually reasonable. So if you can get them to doubt their doubts, you know, one phrase I like to say is just because we can't know everything doesn't mean we can't know anything. Right. And I found that for a lot that's of, good. you know, uh, young people that, that just hits home because that's the world they're living in. They, they don't yeah. know what, what they can trust essentially. Yeah. I've never known a generation of people who are so adamant about the fact that you can't be adamant, right? That <laughs> right. they are so, there's so many things. And, and what's interesting is I, I love to talk to people about how much of their lives they don't, they live outside of that paradigm. So many things that we are certain of, so many things that we actually, every single day, we, we go through our life and we're certain of this and we act as though this is definitely real and it's going to be there. I, I find if you can gently begin to have those conversations and cause people, I like your phrase, doubt their doubts, you'll find that most of us, very few of us come to this without some motive. There's a reason we want there not to be a, mm. a, a higher reality, a, a higher purpose in life, a divine creator. None of us are completely neutral in this. There's motives behind us. Absolutely. I know that's true in my heart, Pastor Sean. And so, you know, I, th- I think that's true for most people, right? Yeah. And I also find that Christians need to be equipped with answers. Uh, it's not that we can know everything, but it, but we can know some stuff. You know, I had a friend and uh, in some ways a mentor, Mark Middleberg. He's an author yeah. in apologetics. Yeah. He he put it this way, we're living in the golden age of Christian apologetics. There actually is so much we can research and and learn about our faith and the uh, intellectual groundwork for it. The problem is we don't always want to. It's hard work. We start with this assumption that we're unwilling to challenge. And so if I can get someone to read just one book with me, mm. oftentimes I, I find that that thaws some of that attitude and at least gets a conversation going. But the critical thing for me, Pastor Sean, is like you need to have grace with people in that in that space, but it's also not enough to to just have grace with no right. sort of intellectual firepower to back it up, right? Most Christians need to just spend the time and read one solid book on apologetics, just get enough to get moving, uh, and and I find actually that settles doubt. And and I don't know why we live in an age where oftentimes people think emotion is is going to match that feeling of doubt and somehow assuage mm-hmm. it. You know, it reminds me of in C.S. Lewis, the Screwtape Letters, he tells the senior demon, tells the junior demon, you want everyone running over to the side of the boat that's basically already underwater anyway. Mm. And as I look at it today, if we're looking at the, like, the, the, just the raw empathy without truth and the raw truth without empathy, I find that we're running over to the empathy side when actually, gosh, like maybe just a little bit of logic and reason could be the the grounding so many people are looking for. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. You mentioned the Geisler Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist book. Are there any others that you, you like to get put get in people's hands that make them ask some questions that they weren't asking and help them see things a little different? I think the late, great Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, is yeah, uh, going to go down as an all-time classic. Yep. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin uh, is an apologist. She has an amazing book as well. I 
think it's the title is uh, Questioning Christianity or something like mm -hmm. that. 12 Questions for the World's Biggest Religion. Her book is is really good as well. Nice. Excellent. Now, you currently work with Breakpoint with the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Uh, what do you do right. for them? And how is it how is it similar? How is it different from maybe what you were doing, particularly focusing on apologetics? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I mean, the apologetics stuff, I really felt Pastor Sean was was angled towards non-Christians. Mm -hmm. We wanted to reach, we wanted to do evangelism through apologetics. Right. Um, I think it's the best use you could put apologetics toward. Well, what I do now is comment on culture. I, I help draft a daily news and culture commentary alongside my colleagues, uh, John Stone Street, Maria Baer, uh, Shane Morris. And we're trying to equip Christians to live out their faith in the public arena. Right. So a lot of Christians have a, a strong private faith. They know they need to read their Bible. They're dedicated to prayer. They, uh, they might even go to church and they believe in the community that they have at church. We just want to give them the tools to be to act like a Christian on their local school board yeah. uh, or when they go into the office, right? Or when they are reading the Wall Street Journal and these headlines come up, right? How does a Christian act in those situations? Because we believe the gospel is for not just Sundays, but all life. Yeah. Every aspect of reality comes under the, the kingship of Jesus. And it's our privilege as his bride and as his body to partner with him mm. uh, in, in helping point people towards the one who will restore all things. Yeah. So that's our mission statement. And uh, I, I just have a blast doing it. I get to talk about a lot of different things. Well, that's obvious. And I mean, the article that brought you kind of onto our radar was the article regarding that, that you wrote regarding AI. Now you can't, I mean, if you're on Twitter at all, any social media platforms, you read the news, AI is everywhere. And I think a lot of people are looking at, oh, hey, there's opportunities there. But a whole lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, is this the is this the beginning of the – is this the Matrix now? We're headed to the Matrix. Are we all going to die? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think, I think that's – so it's a great topic. What made you want to write about that? Because I love the angle you talked about because you, you talked about – and it was such a great position of this AI, this new technology, this kind of soulless, personality-less technology, and then art. What brought those together for you? Well, the story that caught our attention, our, our editorial team is always kind of surfing for these stories. We do not lack for things to write about, by the way. <laughs> it's all, it's constant. In September of 2022, uh, a guy entered the Colorado State Art Fair mm -hmm. and his submission, which was in the digital art category, but his submission won first prize. And only after that did he disclose that actually he had generated it through an AI algorithm. Uh, and he defended that. He said, look, I didn't break any rules technically. And my goal was not to cheat at this competition. I just think AI can produce really cool art and I wanted to demonstrate what it can do. So, you know, whatever you think about the ethics of that, <laughs> right? I think a lot of people who spent hours with a pen on their iPad, you know, an Apple pencil on their iPad, you know, uh, were upset at that understandably. But I think that was one of the first times that that the public consciousness is starting to really be captured by exactly what artificial intelligence can do. It's a whole new style of computing. Mm -hmm. It's so much less rigid. It's starting to act and, and for lack, truly for lack of a better comparison, it learns now like people learn. Um, without designating specific commands, you can train an algorithm on just mountains and mountains of, of photos and descriptions and pictures. And just like, you know, human beings learn, 
no one gives you a definition of a face to start with. They just right. sh- you see a bunch of faces. Well, we're hardwired to recognize faces, so that that's mm-hmm. cheating a little bit. Mm-hmm. But with everything else, you just see a million of it, a million dogs, a million blades of grass, a million cats. And your brain then starts to categorize and sort and build these higher cognitive functions based on all that raw data. So that's how we're programming this stuff now. So I, I've heard people say this is more significant than the discovery of nuclear energy. Wow. I don't know what to make of that, but it certainly is powerful technology. And um, no matter what we put it towards, it's going to have dramatic implications, be it art, be it uh, defense, contracting, you know, sure. be it running factories, whatever. It's a, it's a whole new horizon, and we're going to live to see it, probably. You talked about something that uh, – you mentioned something that a lot of people question is like since technically AI is not creating something unique because it's simply actually reproducing or rearranging stuff that's already out there. Right. So right. I think the issue of plagiarism. OK, is, is that a type of plagiarism? Because Absolutely, while, right. yeah, while it's while it is coming together in a completely new form, it's stuff that previously has been put out there and has been created by someone. Right. And I should clarify, and I should have clarified earlier, Pastor Sean, I am not an expert in AI. This isn't my field of, you know, deep research or study, but I am interested in philosophy. And as you're talking about, you know, what AI does, right, it sort of remashes all this data it's been given. Part of me, it's, it strikes me that that mimics almost the human mode of subcreation, mm. right? In the words right. of J.R. Tolkien, yeah. he said, we're not the creator. Only God creates ex nihilo, right? Like he just speaks yeah. and stuff appears. Mm-hmm. We just get to mash up the, con- the components and create something new. So in a way, AI is, is starting to do that almost like we do. Mm-hmm. It's not real organic creation. You're right. It's trained on all this stuff that's already out there. So, But there are really practical problems with that. Like plagiarism is one. The other one is like, is reading and writing just over, right? Are, are tomorrow's second graders going to just say to their AI Alexa supercharged robot at home, hey, can you write my paper? And it just churns out this, you know, write it, write it as though I'm writing it. And it knows you're writing or your vocabulary so well that it, that it can just do that. Well, there's all kinds of those like immediate questions. I do want to point out, Baron told me you were the world's foremost expert on AI. So thanks, Baron. I appreciate oh, good. it. <laughs> no, he did not. Yeah, he we'll did see not. how long that holds up. No, he did not. But you, you're, and your article made that clear. You weren't really coming as an expert. You, but what you were talking about is what you really focused more on was the nature of art. And what makes right. art truly art? I love your point, and I really I, I think that's something people need. I, I was actually sharing that very idea with someone just the other day of how none of us really creates from nothing. We're all kind of rearranging something that God created, you know, and right. whatever it is, it, if an artist, a painter, whatever, we're recreating something that God did. But your your article talks about the unique sense of purpose and meaning. Talk about that a little bit in art. Yeah. AI, Sean, is forcing us to essentially ask the question of what is what does it mean to be human? Mm. Uh, because as this technology gets good at doing the things that up until now only humans can do, uh, it's starting to starting to mess with our categories a little bit, right? And you get all kinds of people like it's going to come alive, it's going to do an iRobot and take over everything, right? And uh, I think there's a discussion we had on that, but an, but an even more pertinent discussion is what does it mean to be human in the first place? If you're a materialist uh, evolutionist, for example, like you're committed to the belief that the body is all that there is, that there's only physical stuff in the world, AI might have you sweating pretty hard. 
because the only thing there is then to people is our functionality, right? right? Our cognitive ability, for, for lack that's of a better good. word, our intelligence, yep, right? That's good. But Christians have a way of distinguishing between intelligence and consciousness, uh, between, between a, there's a qualitative difference between us and our tools. Mm. Uh, so that lets us keep our categories straight. And I think the ways that that plays out uh, as it relates to art is that we recognize art as a form of communication mm. and therefore a form of intentionality. So in some ways, it doesn't matter. I mean, there will be consequences to AI churning out incredible art. It might make some jobs obsolete. But in a deeper sense, it can never really touch the art that human beings make for each other. Why? Because we're expecting communication from another mind. Yeah. Not just a mindless intelligence, but another mind. Something yeah. created Imago Dei. Well, and you mentioned that. It, the, the idea, you said, a bigger, more important conflict in the world of art, more than whether a piece is painted or printed, is whether meaning is constructed or discovered. Talk about that. I love that right. idea. That that I've got that out highlighted. That was powerful. Right. Man, materialism doesn't just do away with categories like right and wrong. It doesn't even just do away at the end of the day with categories like person and personhood, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all part of the cosmic mousetrap. Yeah, I might be one lever, you might be another spring, but you know, it's an accident. It's a, it's determined by the laws of physics. There's no real ghost in the shell to so to speak right there's no such thing as personhood as a qualitative category but it also does away with the idea of meaning as something that's woven into the world so actually out of that uh belief for uh comes most postmodern philosophy where we say look i am responsible i'm on the hook to create my own meaning yeah. Right. Whatever I say is meaningful. That whatever other people say is meaningful. That's as deep as meaning can really go. It's all kind of a social construct. Christians, thank God, believe something totally different. Yeah. The psalmist says the heavens proclaim God's handiwork. Right. Mm. When we look at creation and we're hit with that sense of awe, we don't just have to reduce it to a function of evolutionary biology. Somehow that kept us alive in our distant ancestors. But no, there is meaning to the yeah. stars. Mm. There is meaning to the planet. When I wake up in the middle of the night and I have an existential moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually alive, right? I'm wondering at something. I'm discovering something that's true, whether or not I notice it. Meaning is there because God says when he created everything, he sat back and said, it is good. Yeah. He gave creation meaning and it's, and its purpose, its meaning mm. is to proclaim his handiwork in a thousand different ways. Yeah. That pastor Sean makes all the difference. If that just sounds like philosophy, gobbledygook, no. you can drill it down to the existential crises that like we were talking about teenagers earlier, you know, we tell them you can be whatever you want to be in life. At first, that sounds like a liberating thing. You know, detach yourself from biology, detach yourself from the expectations of others, just create your own meaning. Well, the, the project of creating meaning on a day-to-day -day basis is so heavy. It's crushing these young people. Yeah. That's they're, right. they're being told life is meaningless, but go ahead and try to your best to pretend like it has some kind of meaning. Yeah. Whereas the Christian says, on your worst day, when you doubt that there's meaning in the world, everything about the created order is designed to remind you that God created this on purpose, yeah. that he loves you. Yeah. And that the universe exists to serve him.
That's awesome. And we're the only ones who can worship him. You know, we're the only ones right. who can do that. Uh, let me read a quote, and I will, we'll conclude with this. This is from your article. That's why the Van Goghs will continue to amaze. And the grandmothers will continue to hang paintings from four-year-olds they know and love on their fridge. And listen to this. Ultimately, only people can be artists. Even the very best art from a machine is only a more sophisticated version of paint by numbers. I love that. Because that's truth. There is something in the worship, something in the expression, something in the reflection of our creator. So, uh, Casey, thank you for being with us. How, how can people find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you and connect with your writing? Man, if you want these daily commentaries, I work with an incredibly talented team. You can go to breakpoint.org and sign up for our daily commentary. Uh, that'd be the best place to follow what we do. So um, my boss, John Stone Street, is uh, one of a kind. He does a, a weekly breakdown of culture. I subscribe to that, and uh, and it's just it's fun to watch him break this stuff down, too. And yeah. it's fun to collaborate with him on these kinds of articles. So, Casey, thank you. You can find out more at breakpoint.org. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for being on Reaching for Real Life. Thanks, Pastor Sean. God bless. Pastor Sean, it's conversations like that where I go, I wish the show was longer, man. You guys could have just, I, I was enjoying all that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Casey's a, a young man, but obviously very educated, very smart, very thoughtful. And um, I just felt like, and he's passionate, you know, he really wants to help people look at life, look at the world and see, hey, wait a minute, that's created. That's not an accident. That's mm. that's something that God designed. So I love that about him. I was also encouraged that his father had the wisdom to sit down and have that conversation. I almost kind of imagine you having that same kind of conversation with your son, Ryan. Yeah, Ryan and Lauren, both yeah. of them. Oh, yeah, we, we did. We very much wanted their faith to be their own. Mm-hmm. We that's why, and one of the important parts of that is we made sure there were other adults, other families that they were engaging with. So it wasn't just mom and dad and our influence. It was they they heard the gospel, they saw Christ, they saw the church in different expressions, and they had their own experience, their own journey. Uh, Casey, if you're listening to this, can you help us get your dad on the line there? Too? <laughs> wow, <laughs> look at you! His oh, dad's yeah. his dad's with focus on the family, right? A little bit, yeah. Vice president. There, so, yeah. Uh, okay. He, well, Baron, he knew Chuck. You know, <laughs> let's just say. Okay, Chuck Colson. Very good. Well, Baron, now you see how we get some of these guests. Baron is not ashamed or afraid to ask anyone. <laughs> Radio Weasel, this is my ministry. <laughs> Radio Weasel. Hey, I'm going to leave you with that. Yeah. I want that to be the image that you take with you. <laughs> I hope this was an enjoyable conversation. Thanks for listening to Reaching for Real Life. We are very grateful for your time. And uh, if you want to know more, you can get me at Pastor Sean at reallife.org. You can go to reachingforreallife.org and find out more. Again, thanks for listening. God bless. Have a great week. 